Like to have everybody's attention for a moment. There's a stat. I don't like bringing up stats, but there's one stat about the Panthers. He's a more is James Harden better scored than Michael Jordan. No, he's a more creative in that. He, Traveling he, is not creative, he Brandon. Does, he does. You know, no matter what the score is, and they've said it themselves, whether they're up 10, down 10, down 20, whatever, they know they can turn it on whenever. Why did you have to bring up the Cowboys in this conversation? <laughs> Lived in Texas for two years and just could not stand to watch Cowboys football. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, listen up, listen up. Welcome to The Rundown. Here's Desmond Johnson. Welcome back to The Rundown. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined by he, uh, the, the host of Snowman in the Mornings. You can catch him 9 a.m. Monday through Friday at snowmanandthemornings.com forward slash listen live. Brian Snow, first time guest on The Rundown. What's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, brother? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I wanted to talk to you about uh, a couple of things Panther related, but of course, the biggest news out of Pantherland uh, this past week is the signing of star running back Christian McCaffrey. He's only 23 years old. Uh, he now has the highest paid uh, deal for running back in NFL history. Um, I did get a chance through profootballtalk.com to kind of see what the parameters of the deal was because we didn't really know exactly what it was going to be when it first came out. And it kind of sounded crazy at first, but now looking at the numbers, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, let me let me throw some of these numbers at you and get your opinion here. He got a $21.5 million signing bonus. Uh, his base salary for the upcoming year is only going to be $825,000. That's fully guaranteed. Uh, in 2021, the base salary is $8 million. Uh, $7.7 million of that is fully guaranteed at signing. Uh, so he's guaranteed through the next two years about $37 million, counting the bonus um, – signing bonus in 2022 the base salary is 8.4 million 8.1 million of that is guaranteed for injury at signing uh and then going through the rest of the the years 2023 he's a base salary of 11.8 million only 1 million of that is guaranteed for injury um and 2024 the base salary is 11.8 2025 12 million and he gets two hundred thousand dollars per year in workout bonuses the four-year extension has 30 million fully guaranteed at signing and another 8.1 million becomes guaranteed next March. So the practical guarantee is about $38 million, 38.1 mm-hmm. million. Now the Panthers can avoid owing him 38 million uh, by cutting him after one year, which doesn't seem very likely and uh, just paying him the $30 million bonus. So it comes out to about 16 million per year if you do it over a, a average, but really in, in, in real talk, most of the money's front loaded the first three years of the deal. And, yep. and honestly, it kind of averages out to about 11, 12 million per year. Once you take the sign in bonus and everything out of it. So uh, mm-hmm. Brian, your initial thoughts on the Christian McCaffrey contract. And uh, do you think that the Panthers made a good deal or a bad deal? by signing Christian McCaffrey uh, with two years to go before he would have been up uh, or or eligible for a deal? Lock him in now because in the business right now, I've made comparisons on my show of Christian McCaffrey to one Roger Craig and one Marshall Falk because he is such a dynamic jackknife running back. He can catch out of the backfield. Of course, he can run. We've seen that great speed, a good blocker, and he's only going to get better. So if you're looking at the new face of the franchise, especially now with Cam Newton being gone, you just got him in Christian McCaffrey. Do you feel comfortable with McCaffrey being the uh, the face of the franchise? I mean, it's been a lot of uh, 
turnover for this team just in this offseason and really kind of started with the surprise retirement of uh, star run, uh, star linebacker Luke Keekley. But looking mm-hmm. down the roster now in terms of what the Panthers management has done with this roster from the end of the season to now, from Ron Rivera getting fired in the middle of the season to Keekley retiring to uh, they cut Eric Reed a year after they extended him. Um, what are your thoughts on what, what exactly are the Panthers doing? Because on one hand, it looks like, well, they're they're telling the public, you know, be patient. You can't, we can't build a, a consistent winner overnight. Uh, then you see the moves that they've done in terms of cutting folks and just trimming the roster down. If I'm not mistaken, there's only going to be like, I think like two players that are over the age of 30 on this roster yeah. when they begin. Uh, Lord knows when that'll be, September hopefully, but um, what what do you honestly think the Panthers are trying to do here? Do you think they're trying to be competitive for next year, or are they just simply cleaning out all the big contracts and and looking towards twenty twenty one? It's a little of both because when you clean out all the big contracts, Cam Newton being the big one, Luke Keekley retiring on his own, they're cleaning out all the big contracts and they're getting ready to have some room and bring in some fresher talent. Rivera being fired in the middle of the season, especially when they really had a chance to compete, don't know how that would have um, solved anything because now you're going to have a new staff in place. You're going to have unproven uh, systems in place when the season begins. The signing of Christian McCaffrey is a good thing for the Panthers because now you lock in the new face of the franchise and you lock them in for the immediate future. As far as what the rest of the team is doing, like you, I have no idea because you're sending two signals. You're sending a signal saying be patient, but also with some of the roster moves that they made, it it seems like they're tanking. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of crazy because when I look at their offensive uh, skill positions, uh, so you basically swapped out Cam Newton for Teddy Bridgewater, uh, pretty much an even – swap in terms of salary uh cam was going to be due like 19 20 million uh this year if he was on the roster teddy's getting about 20 million off the three-year deal that he signed uh teddy may be and i love cam newton everyone knows i love cam newton but mm-hmm. teddy bridgewater may be a better fit for what coach matt rule and uh offensive coordinator joe brady want to do if it's anything like the offenses that joe brady was overseeing at lsu it'll be a lot of uh quick passing slants, uh, getting players in open space so they can kind of do their own thing, uh, like five wide out type sets, things like that. And while Cam, we were starting to see 2017, uh, a little glimpse of Cam turning into that player. I don't know if Coach Rule and uh, owner David Tepper had the patience to wait another two, three years for Cam to fully be that pocket passer i guess you could say teddy bridgewater for the most part is serviceable i guess but then you put christian mccaffrey behind him who i believe is the greatest running back in the nfl today like right now like yes yeah, saquon barkley's great um you got a couple other guys that are out there doing their thing but none of them really do exactly what christian mccaffrey does which is why i can understand him basically getting paid like a wide receiver um i i, I think he kind of he he sort of reminds me of Marshall Falk a little bit in terms of uh, his elusiveness. And I, I think a lot of it too, people, for some reason now, uh, people's memories are fleeting, I guess, because 
they seem to think that Marshall Falk only ran to the outside and that Christian right. McCaffrey only runs sweeps or something. And most of their yards came in between the tackles, like kind of mm-hmm. getting up in there and then making people miss. And Marshall Falk was one of my favorite players because you could put him anywhere on the field. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. he was an MVP. Uh, he had one of the greatest seasons I can remember in 2001 uh, when mm-hmm. he won the MVP and the Rams lost the uh, Patriots in that Super Bowl. But uh, McCaffrey kind of reminds me of that. Do you think that the Panthers can legit in 2020, can they legit build a team around a 23-year-old running back? Because that kind of goes against everything we've been told the past decade in terms of the running back position. Do you think it's feasible for the Panthers to be able to do this with McCaffrey as the face of the franchise? Well, the Colts, uh, excuse me, the Rams built a team around Marshall Falk, even though Kurt Warner was their quarterback. The 49ers, you know that their history, Joe Montana was a quarterback, but they needed somebody that can run. They, they draft Roger Craig and later on Tom Rappin. They built a team around people that can run. The Panthers are doing the same thing with Christian McCaffrey. And once again, like I said earlier at the top of this conversation, they made the right move in signing McCaffrey now. And as you said, Saquon Barkley is great. Don't get me wrong. But the best running back in the game right now is Christian McCaffrey. And with the Panthers having that feeling and the NFL having that feeling, you want to get Christian McCaffrey taken care of now before he even thinks about hitting free agency. Because if he's still performing at the top of his, uh, at the top of his game and he goes into free agency, there's going to be a bidding war like none other. Yeah, I totally agree with that for sure. Like I, I'm actually really impressed that uh... – the Panthers did this as early as they did because with McCaffrey being a former first round pick, there was a fifth year option they could have used on him. And, uh, you know, I've heard people like Max Kellerman say, you know, well, it's not, it's not polite. It's not nice, but the Panthers screwed up here because they should have just let him keep playing the two years on his rookie deal. And then basically franchise tagged him for the fifth year. And by that point, he's like 27 or something like that. And they're thinking, Oh, you're a running back. We've kind of used your prime up already. Uh, you know, we're not going to give you a big deal or whatever. It's kind of a sign of confidence from David Tepper and Matt Rule that they want McCaffrey to be the face of the franchise by signing him uh, this early because it's basically going to absorb the 30 million signing bonus is basically uh, this season and next season salary. Basically, he's getting up front mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to cover the, you know, the $800,000 he was supposed to get on his rookie deal. He's still getting that. This is just an extension. It won't really kick in. Until mm-hmm. uh, year after next, but that signing bonus money puts him in a situation where, yeah, now he's getting 15, 16 million plus. And, I mean, the kid deserves it. He's the third guy ever to rush for a thousand yards and, and catch a thousand yards a thousand. season. He, he had a hundred catches. <laughs> I mean, this is a running back that had a hundred yeah. catches. And, and yeah. honestly, if you're a Panther fan, and if you remember, they didn't really line him up outside a whole lot. A lot of his catches Mm-mm. came out of the backfield. Like he was the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the stopgap, I guess you could say. Like, if everything broke down, he's just standing there in the flat. Look for and Christian McCaffrey. Throw it to Christian McCaffrey. He's going to get you 20 yards. So, I mean, that was kind of the Panther playbook, especially around halfway through the season. Um, with Brian Snow here, he's the host of Snowman in the Mornings. Definitely check him out. 9 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday at snowmaninthemornings.com forward slash listen live. Great sports program. Uh, they talk everything from NFL, NBA. Uh, I've been on a few times myself. Definitely check him out uh, in the mornings. Real quick before I let you go, Brian, um, and I do want to invite you to be one of our judges in our upcoming NFL greatest team ever bracket. Uh, that will be starting here late April, um, a little bit later on in the show. 
myself and uh, Rod Funderburk and Brandon Blakeney are going to actually choose the four number one seeds for that bracket, uh, which should be a Uh-oh. fun conversation there. Yeah, so <laughs> I kind of got an idea of who I want in there is the number one overall yeah. seed. I watched some 30 for 30s last night, so I'm kind of leaning towards a certain – certain uh group there so we'll see how that goes but um <laughs> real quick back to the uh to the panthers the last thing i wanted to ask you with the draft coming up here uh in about a week actually uh mm-hmm. panthers sitting at seven uh we've talked about the offense they got weapons at curtis samuel and dj Moore on the outside both of them still on rookie deals christian mccaffrey just re-up teddy bridgewater's on a, a team friendly deal uh they of course could use some help on the offensive line uh, maybe it tied in with Greg Olson moving on to Seattle, but uh, the defense is a mess when you look at it on paper. Uh, are there any prospects out there at number seven that you would want Carolina to go after either side of the ball or, or should Carolina trade down? What, what do you think the Panthers should do with their uh, number seven pick here in about a week? Oh, it's uh, so many options for Carolina for that number seven pick. Um, one of the defensive guys that I have been looking at is Javon Kinlaw. He could come in and immediately help the Panthers. But I have the feeling Javon Kinlaw is going to fall to 13, and he'll fall right into Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's hands uh, in San Francisco. But if there was uh, a fellow out there that could really help the Panthers defense and make an immediate impact, it would be Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina. That's actually not a bad pick. Uh, I'm hearing about the – Isaiah Simmons from Clemson might be a target there because of linebacker mm-hmm. or whatnot. Uh, I, I'm just looking up and down the the defensive roster for the Panthers, and it's like, where is there everybody? Too holes in it. There's, <laughs> there's there's too many holes in it. There's too many holes in it. I didn't even think about the fact that Kawan Short is like 31. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about that. He's already had a big deal. Uh, kind of surprised he's still on the roster. Uh, he had a yeah. season engine injury last year. Um, but I think most of his money's already been spent, so that's probably why he's still on. I haven't ch- had a chance to check the cap yet. But, uh, yeah, between Eric Reed, Luke Keekley, uh, literally the entire defensive line is in Dallas right now. Don Terry Poe yeah. signed with the Cowboys. Uh, Gerald McCoy signed with the Cowboys. Um, they've got Brian Burns, who was their number one or their first-round pick last year. But mm-hmm. um, there's only – I think we had mentioned this on a previous episode of the Rundown. As it stands right now, there's only like four guys on the defense – that have played more than 30% of the defensive snaps from last year, yep. uh, which is frightening to me because I have no idea what's going to happen here. It almost feels like the Panthers are going to be in shootouts like every game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know and if they I like play that. in the <laughs> NFC South. <laughs> right. And, yeah. they play, and, and they play in the Guess NFC just South here. <laughs> where you got to see, you got to see Tom Brady twice. You oh. got to see Drew Brees twice. You got to see uh, Matt Ryan twice. Ah. And then it's, it's like, let, let's let's take a peek at the NFC South really quick. And we're just looking on the offensive side of the ball, folks. Drew, uh, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and then hanging on at the number four slot is Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> it, it's kind of like the old Sesame Street song. Which one of these things is not like the others? You know, okay. <laughs> you know what makes me you just hearing you say that out loud makes me mad. The Panthers didn't keep Cam Newton because if Cam right. Newton is healthy, just to say, you know, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Cam Newton in the same division. In the same division. How much fun that would have been to see that Mm -hmm. go down. I understand why they did it with Cam Newton. I don't like how they did it. I think they should have let him go a little bit earlier so he could find a home. Um, But on the other hand, I don't think it's all on Cam Newton because there's other guys. I mean, Jadavion Clowney still hasn't found a home. Jameson Mm -hmm. uh, Jameson, uh, 
what's his name uh from tampa bay uh james wilson winston i'm sorry james uh, winston he yep. hasn't found a home yet i mean mainly because of coronavirus and teams can't work out players on their own that's right. kind of a limbo so yeah i mean i expected cam to be signed by now he's not uh but at this rate we don't even know if we're having false sports so we'll see uh you better go. have fall sports dog going and I miss using my play by play mic just like you do. Hey man, I was so hyped I... for, for the summer <laughs> and, and now now I've resigned myself to the fact that I don't think summer sports are coming back, man. I, I just it's I, it's I don't like coming. I was looking forward to having my first full baseball season broadcast wise since 2016. Yeah. I was geared up for it. My man. wife would see all the schedules I had brought in. Um, since since we moved here, she see all the schedules and she says, "Now you know you're gonna have to break this down. Make sure you keep your job in tow and you get all these games in because I want you to get your games in." And then, poof, gone. Nothing until like, May eighteenth, and like a, like a two day stretch, it all disappeared. <laughs> it, it disappeared. You know how I, you know how I got the clue and how my stomach started turning over when all of the conference tournaments in college basketball. Yeah. started pulling the plug one by one and I'm sitting there my mouth's through the floor my friends are looking at me going what's the matter I said I'm gonna have to put my play-by-play mic away yeah. for a while <laughs> I'm praying I'm praying that this flattens out I, I don't I want it to flatten out in its natural course okay let's let this run its course but as a broadcaster and you said this, so many times over as a broadcaster who depends on this income and depends on the contact from the kids, man, can we bring sports back, please? please. I want to get back in the booth. I, I will say after watching uh WrestleMania last weekend, they did it over mm-hmm. two nights. They did it at the performance center in Orlando. It was supposed to be in Tampa in front of 75,000 fans. And they yep. did it basically in an empty performance center. And I, I will say I was a little bit surprised about how I felt about trying to watch it without fans in attendance. Uh, I think right. I've changed my opinion on just bringing back sports without the fans. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of in the mindset of letting it wait until fans can be back in there. So I've kind of moved my mentality to the fall. Like, uh, you know, everybody, everybody knows I love high school football. I do play by play throughout the season for that. Um, I could see a scenario in the fall where, they still have the kids on distance learning like online, but they've they've loosened the requirements in terms of crowds a little bit so that uh, maybe not capacity houses, but you can have up to, I don't know, 500 or something at a football game, maybe have them spaced out a little bit. So, I don't know, something on those lines, but I, I can do, see that. I do think people like me and you will come in handy if that's the case, because there's going to be a lot of people that a are still concerned about going out in public and sitting with a bunch of people for three hours to watch a football game and afraid they might catch the coronavirus and uh and b those that can't get in to those places that will have a smaller capacity will have will still have a need to listen to and watch and and view these games it'll become more important than ever so that's kind of what i'm holding out hope for that in the end this will be a blessing for people like uh, me and you in the industry and others uh we've had to kind of change what we do uh, and adapt on the fly. This wasn't even a video show uh, three weeks ago, so <laughs> we've kind of changed a and, lot about. And, and you've <laughs> you've taught me so much since I've been here in North Carolina, and what um, tools I can use, and how I can get everything done, and 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 what I need. And I want to thank you for 
A, let me into your life and B, let me into your world so I can learn from you and we can learn from each other and we can collab like this, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I gotta, I gotta let you go. We got a loaded show today, but uh, before I let you go, let everybody know once again where they can get to your stuff. Snowman in the mornings on the weekdays. Snowmaninthemorning.com is where you can find my show. Uh, Snowmaninthemorning.com/slash/listen-live. It's all one word. Is where you can find me Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. That is Brian Snow from Snowman in the Mornings. You are locked in to the Rundown with Desmond Johnson. All right, and welcome back to The Rundown. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, brought to you by Body Patterns Fitness and Wellness in Kernersville and Blue Naples Pizza, also in Kernersville. Blue Naples Pizza is my uh, go-to spot for Stromboli's, cheesesteaks, wings, and whatnot. It's a little kind of hidden over off Union Cross Road, so definitely go check them out. Um, On with us right now, he is the studio host for IMG Learfield Sports for Appalachian State uh, football. He's also a commentator for Appalachian State basketball as well. Ryan Stone joining the rundown. What's going on, Ryan? Yeah, not a whole lot, man. How's, how's the uh, quarantine treating you? <laughs> about the same. About the same. <laughs> trying to stay busy. Um, luckily, we've been gifted with a couple of things to actually discuss. And I wanted to touch base with you on two things regarding North Carolina, the University of North Carolina. Uh, news from this past week that uh, hit major headlines starting off starting point guard freshman point guard Cole Anthony basically what we expected uh, yeah. now <laughs> going to the NBA draft I don't think that's that big of a shock to anybody that's following the program uh, my question to you though involved where should he land because uh, the Charlotte Hornets are actually sitting at the number eight pick um, yeah. as it stands right now I don't know if they're going to finish the regular season or not and um what are the odds of the Hornets drafting Cole Anthony uh, with the number eight pick of the NBA draft? Would that be something that would interest you as a uh, uh, a Hornets? Fa- I don't know if you're a Hornets fan or at least you follow yeah, the Hornets. Follow. Uh, you know? Yeah. So would that be something to make you go, oh, okay, I want to check them out? Or would you rather have go get somebody like Obi Toppin from Dayton? I, if Obi Toppin's on the board, I would prefer Obi Toppin. I, he is one of my favorite players in the in this draft. But I, I, this is a draft I think where things are are very up in the air. For one, like you said, we don't know if they're going to finish the regular season, so we don't know what the uh, the process is going to look like in terms of you know, how how they're going to set up the uh, set up the the lottery situation, which the Hornets will obviously be in so you don't really know exactly where they're going to land another thing about you know Cole Anthony that's that's really interesting I went and looked at about I don't know, 12 different mock drafts last night his range is all over the place that he's going as high as four as low as 15 yeah. I think I averaged I averaged it out he's somewhere around eight if you average them all together so that would put him to the Hornets uh you obviously can't ignore the UNC the UNC connection with uh, with Michael Jordan I think that uh, Cole Anthony has great, great bloodlines as well. Uh, the thing the Hornets would also have to decide on is, are they going to stick with the two-headed backcourt of Terry Rozier and, uh, and, and Devontae Graham? Or if they're going to move one of those guys, uh, then it does open up a slot for, uh, for Cole Anthony maybe to, uh, to slide in there. But I, I think the Hornets are a team that, as young as they are and as lacking of overall talent as they are, they're in a spot where they should just take whoever the best player is on the board uh, when they get that opportunity to draft. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, You know, just thinking about Cole, you're right. They would have to get rid of one of those two, preferably uh, Scary Terry. Like, I don't even think they needed to sign him, to be honest. I think they just did it as a reaction to losing (laughs) Kimba. Yeah. But I mean, 
I like uh, I like Devonte Graham. We've actually had him on the rundown before. Uh, great kid. He's yep. from North Carolina. Former Big uh, Twelve Player of the Year. Yep. So I mean, he, he's definitely there now. If you want that flash, though, I wouldn't mind drafting Cole and putting him at shooting guard, except for yep. the fact that he's six three, one hundred eighty pounds. I don't know if that's going to work, but he's he's got he's he's tough to slot position wise. Uh, because he he's not a true point guard yet. I mean, he 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 is a solid passer, but he is a look to score first guard. So I, I think yeah. I think if if for him to be successful early in his NBA career, the best opportunity for him may be going into like a six man type of role where he can just come off the bench and provide a scoring punch. Now that may not be the situation depending on where he goes. I, the Knicks. We're slotted to pick him in a few different mocks. He's from New York. He's got connections there, obviously, with his father. Uh, he did Knicks- say uh, yesterday, I think he said it would be pretty cool if the Knicks did select him. Uh, yeah. But, don't I mean, the Knicks have a couple of point guards on the roster right now, don't they? And Dennis they, they, Smith Jr. still up there? They do, but you know, I think Cole is probably a better option than those guys at this point, at least to, uh, to give a shot to. Uh, but I, you know, I think there's quite a few places that Cole Anthony could end up landing uh, he's as a two guard, he's a concern because I, I think the only he's not a bad defender. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he, he guards people. He gets into people. But I, I think he, he guards the point guard position. Well, when you start getting into asking him to guard a two guard in the NBA, uh, his size becomes a becomes a concern. Uh, I also think some things he probably needs to work on. He's a little turnover prone at times. He can force some bad shots. Some of that may have been, you know, dealing with to what he what he had around him at UNC this year, obviously. But I, I don't know at this point, if you're looking to make him a point guard, that he necessarily makes anybody better. Uh, I don't know that he made anybody better at UNC this year. But again, some of that was, was what's around him, in my opinion. Do you uh, – speaking of – let's stick with the NBA for just a second here. Um, the NBA is trying to figure out how to continue this season. There's talks that, uh, and you mentioned this on a previous episode of the rundown that there's talks of maybe taking this to Las Vegas, having all yeah. the teams there. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci actually mentioned that that might be a way to, to continue major sports is to yeah. basically put all the teams in the same yeah. spot, put them in hotels, uh, no fans. Um, what, what are your, what's your opinion on, uh, Facebook's VR thing, this Oculus Rift thing that was starting to kind of gain a little ground before all this began. Do you think that that would be something that would be an option for sports would, going forward? And if so, should they like do something on a mass scale for this? Well, that, that the thing about it is, I don't know that I buy into that as a long term thing. But if you were going to try it, now's the time. If you're going to get if sports, yeah. are, going to, if sports are going to return without fans, then this would obviously be a, a great opportunity for, for any of those VR companies to try to uh, try to make something like that happen. Because as we talked about last week, it, it's odd watching sports without fans in attendance. So it, if you've got some kind of VR experience added in with it, it may make things uh, a little more enjoyable for the fans. But it, it would obviously be, I think, a golden opportunity for, uh, for any VR company if they could make that happen and put that into play for something like the NBA playoffs or even even the MLB season as well, who's also talked about doing uh, kind of the Arizona deal with where they do spring training and using the uh, the Diamondbacks yeah. stadium as well. The, so I, I think use the Grapefruit be, League breakdowns yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this would be a golden opportunity, I think, to uh, to do that. 
I, I mean, I would prefer that over just trying to watch the games on regular television with no crowds. Like I said, I, after watching WrestleMania, it just kind of ruined it for me. Like I, I just, I don't, I can't picture watching the NBA Finals with like Lakers Celtics or something, and they're in Vegas and yeah. in a, an empty gym. And I don't know, I, I'm not there yet. Like I, I, I could I, now ask me again in a week or two, and I might be yeah. past the breaking point. I, I don't know. A lot of people are at the point where they just want sports and they're not necessarily thinking about having to watch it in the awkward sense of there being no fans there because not everybody watches wrestlemania and saw how awkward of a situation that was the only thing that i guess maybe wasn't awkward to watch in terms of wrestlemania was the undertaker match because they actually took it to like a yeah location type I, thing. I did like that <laughs> I, I, yeah i like that and i like the uh the john cena uh fiend match where it was basically the same thing they basically just tasted yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that might be the future of uh, what they do going forward. Wrestling-wise. That was my, my thought after watching it and, you know, hearing a lot of people's reaction to not having fans there for a wrestling, particularly for wrestling, because fans are such a big part of it. Yeah. That, that, that if they should have spent, that maybe WrestleMania should have pushed it back a month. One, to see, give, give some more time and see what happens in terms of states reopening and things like that. Two, uh, if it's not going to reopen more opportunities to do, kind of that scenario like they did with the undertaker for all the matches and vince mcmahon in the news past week uh he's on <laughs> trump's uh business advisory <laughs> board or whatever is going on with that and well so so is every uh every commissioner <laughs> as well so. yeah right true and then, and then I, I i noticed uh coincidentally that florida deemed wwe an essential business so they're yes. able to stay open and do their things which is kind of odd but you know a you know, they also, re- they also reopened the beaches yesterday, so we're never get, we're never coming outside again. <laughs> oh my god! I posted a picture of a Jacksonville beach like 20 minutes after they opened it, and it was yeah. flooded with people. I'm like, oh, the South just—we have no idea what's about to happen in the summer because people just got to be outside. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're spoiled in the South, man. We're used to yeah. go to the beach and go do a bunch of different things. So. I blame I blame the rain that we had in the winter. It felt like it rained like every two days yeah. for like the entire winter, and now it's like everyone's being forced to stay inside. And I'm looking out my window right now, and it's like 73 yeah. and sunny, and yeah. people want to get out, man. I want to swing back. I want to swing back around real quick, and I've got Ryan Stone with me from IMG Learfield Sports. Uh, I want to swing back around to to college football because honestly, that might be where we're heading here in terms of the first major sporting event, either try to do this or to, to, you know, buck in the face of uh, rules and regulations and try to do it anyway. Uh, North Carolina, again, in the news, for some reason, they have the number two recruiting class in the country after the two signings from the tribe yesterday. What are your thoughts on what the hell Mac Brown is doing? And do you see North Carolina as a national contender here over the next year or two? I, I, it's hard to say no after, especially if that ranking holds. I mean, obviously you've got this high school season that has to, to play out and other guys are going to uh, going to commit, but you would certainly think that North Carolina is at least going to have a top 10 recruiting class bare minimum since they're already up so high. I, I think a big part of it is a lot of these kids grew up seeing Mac Brown on TV, uh, working for ESPN, so he's a recognizable face. I think Mac Brown is just – he's a very likable guy. Um, and I think that's that's obvious and why a lot of these kids are choosing to, uh, to go play for him. Also, I think he's done an excellent job of selling the opportunity of trying to build something special because of how long it's been since, uh, since UNC was good in football. 
and he's done a really excellent job uh, of selling that to these uh, to these recruits. But look, with, with Sam Howell at quarterback, he's a guy that next year or two I would expect to maybe be somebody that's contending for a Heisman Trophy. So I, I can certainly see it. I, I don't think they're going to compete with a Clemson this year because Clemson still has Trevor Lawrence and some weapons around him. But once Trevor Lawrence is gone, things may open back up a little more, a touch more in the ACC, and that might be a golden opportunity for for UNC and Mac Brown uh, to try to compete for an ACC championship. I mean, honestly, who was the team that gave Clemson the most trouble last year? It was yeah. North Carolina, yeah. you know, yeah. I, it, and that was kind of a surprise. That was at yeah. Chapel Hill. Yeah. Uh, but I got to say, I've always said, you know, jokingly as a Carolina fan, that usually our season begins around November. Like we 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 try not to get yeah, too attached yeah. to the football yeah. team. We've been burned a couple of times, and uh, I gotta admit, man, I'm actually really excited to see what I, they do. A lot of I think a lot of it's because I call high school football here in the triad, yeah. and I'm starting to see some kids uh, get signed by Carolina yeah. that I've called their names out, so I know who they are. And um, you know, shout out to uh, Jared Wilson over at West Forsyth. He signed yep. yesterday. Um, the kid over at Glenn, I'm trying to pull his name so I can give him proper credit. Uh, Rara, the linebacker. Yeah. Um, yeah really I can't cool remember right. his last name. I'm trying to pull his name up right now, but he signed yesterday, and that's actually what pushed them up to number two. Um, I know they're looking at Peyton Page and a couple other guys still too. I mean, they they are they're doing what I wanted yeah. Carolina to do years ago. Um, what Mac was doing years ago, yeah. and he explained his 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 philosophy. It was basically you you put a rope around the state of North Carolina, yes. and you get the best talent out of this state, and you don't let it leave. Um, and if you get them all here, kids, high school football kids in North Carolina can play against these kids from yeah. Texas and California and Florida. They really can. North Carolina, if you, if you can keep the majority of the talent at one school, like the way UNC is doing, we're seeing the impact that it that it's obviously making, especially with some of the you know football hotbeds like you got in Charlotte, the Triad, and the Triangle. If you can keep those guys in the state of North Carolina going to UNC, which is what Matt Brown is building this recruiting class on, you've got a great opportunity to to compete really with, especially in the ACC, but really. Uh, maybe starting to compete at a, at a national level as well because there are a ton of really good football players in the state of North Carolina. You you would like to see him maybe dip his toe into Texas, California, Florida, Georgia, get some guys from uh, from those states as well because those are pretty well regarded as the most talented states. Also, Virginia uh, is up there as well. But if he can keep things in North Carolina the way he has been, he is he is certainly putting something special together there at UNC definitely want to look and see what they're going to do going forward like you said yeah. with Trevor Lawrence leaving after this year and yeah. everything else uh real quick got Ryan Stone on the line with us from IMG Learfield Sports he's a studio host for App State also uh contributes doing play-by-play and color commentary for the App State basketball team uh the last dance the 10-part documentary that ESPN yeah. and ABC <laughs> is blessing us with uh ahead of schedule is supposed yeah. to come out in June uh, it actually drops uh this Sunday April the 19th uh, tomorrow, actually, from uh, when we're actually putting this together. So by the time we put this out, we will have seen both part one and part two of this documentary. Um, I'll ask you what I asked the fellas uh, in the previous episode. Do you think the 90 Chicago Bulls are the greatest dynasty of all time in any sport? Man, any sport is, is tough to is tough to say. It's the greatest one in my lifetime. Uh, that I can say pretty confidently. You win six championships in eight years. We haven't really seen that um since then 
Uh, is it the greatest of all time? It's certainly top three or four. I, I mean, you got to put UCLA basketball in there. You got to put the Celtics uh, during their historic run. Also, I think the Lakers in the 80s would be in that discussion as well. Uh, you could also throw the 49ers in the 80s and then the Patriots as well for the 2000s. But they are certainly in the in the mix as one of the greatest dynasties of all time. And I think the the nod and the reason is to why a lot of people will say it's the greatest is because they had, in my opinion, the greatest athlete of all time in Michael Jordan on that team. And a lot of other people feel that way also. So I, I would say that most people, especially around – you know, in their 30s, 40s, maybe late 20s as well, maybe 50s also, would probably side with that Bulls team because of Michael Jordan just kind of giving the nod to uh, to how great he was. But I am, I am really excited to watch this because uh, you know, some of the stuff I've read about him, about Jordan getting emotional, having to walk away from the camera because of uh, the way he treated his teammates and stuff and stuff like that at times, and him being concerned about how the how the public is going to perceive him. I don't. The thing about that is, I, I think he might be a little sheltered, maybe from what the public thinks of him, because most people don't have a great off the court perception of Mike. Right. Uh, yeah. They have a great on the court perception, when in the, as they should, but off the court, his there's been a few things that cause people pause, I guess, in terms of how they perceive him off the court. I don't care for him particularly too much off the court, but he's the greatest basketball player of all time, in my opinion. So I am certainly excited to watch it. You know, the thing for me, I I actually say they are the greatest dynasty of all time for, for one uh, previously as well. I, I grew up watching this Bulls yeah. team. Like I'm 40, I'm 42. <laughs> like I grew up, this was me in high school during their run. So I vividly remember it. And uh, they had a couple things going for them that other dynasties didn't really have. For starters, every game was televised because of the WGN uh, <laughs> yeah. deal. I mean, you could you could watch Jordan decimate the Hawks on a Tuesday night by forty or whatnot, or you could watch them drop fifty against the Bucks if you wanted to on a Thursday. And it, it, you you had total access to it, like you could watch it all. So I feel like we we watched them all, all those games. And I remember me and my buddies at the time, the, the Bulls, the Jordan Bulls in the nineties were it like for us yeah. like yeah. once it got to uh on my and the argument i've always used against lebron even though lebron's my favorite player currently between him and steph curry right now is that and for the entirety of lebron james career there's always been someone else that's compared to him for who's the best in the league at that point whether it's lebron versus kobe or yeah. lebron versus uh, Dwayne Wade or LeBron yeah. and uh, Kawhi Leonard currently, LeBron and Steph Curry, LeBron and Kevin Durant. There's always been somebody else that they've tried to put up against him with comparable numbers. After 88, 89, yeah. I don't remember that conversation with Jordan at all. Like, I, I yeah. remember it being, it was the consensus. Everyone knew he was the best player. Like, that's that dude. Like, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, they're all yeah. basically saying – this is got this is the best guy in the league. This is who we're handing the torch to. And it was really it was before he won his first title where I felt that sentiment in there. And for the Bulls, especially especially the second three peat with Dennis Rodman, it felt like no one hated them. You know, like everyone was rooting for them to keep winning. 
yeah. were as like the Golden State Warrior, like the seventeen Warriors with Kevin Durant. People were rooting for them <laughs> well, not to win because yeah. they were so loaded, and they became kind of villains. Even the yeah. like the Miami Heat when LeBron and Chris Bosh joined Dwayne Wade, yeah. they were kind of treated as heels the first year together because people just didn't agree with how it came together. Um, I don't. I don't send, I don't remember that with the Bulls. I don't remember anyone being like, ah, oh, I can't stand the Bulls. They're in the finals again. I can't believe yeah. they're in the finals. I mean, I, I don't remember that sentiment at all. And yeah. that's to me a sign of a, a, a great dynasty. I, I think uh, the one thing I guess I would say, particularly about that second three peat, because I, I, you know, I'm 32, so I that the Bulls started me on basketball. That's where I started watching basketball. Is when the Bulls were kind of in the middle of that uh, of that run. Uh, the one thing I'd, I'd say I remember uh, a feeling towards that, I, I do remember kind of being indifferent on those finals, uh, not necessarily rooting against the Bulls, but also would have liked to have seen Stockton and Malone uh, maybe win a ring as well. But I think people felt that way. But I, I think you're right in terms of not hating the Bulls. I mean, everybody had Bulls starters jackets, Jordan. Oh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, Bulls, and Bulls snapback hats. So, I mean, everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody had those at, uh, at school. Um, as far as, you know, nobody being compared to Jordan, I, I think a big part of that was at least for, you know, you get to the point of probably 92, 91, 92, up to 95, 96. I think you could probably say that Jordan actually had the second best player in the league as his teammate. Uh, and Scotty. Pippen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. We, <laughs> think, yeah. yeah. Ninety four. Scotty Pippen was the best player in the league in 94, yeah. the year that Jordan left like easily. I think that kind of you know covered Pippen up a little bit and kind of led there to be no discussion, especially since he was always playing second fiddle to Jordan. Um, I, I I don't know that the league, as much as I love '90s basketball and how physical, how much more physical it was, I don't know that you know those guys you mentioned with LeBron, there there was no Kobe Bryant at those times, there was no Kevin Durant in my opinion. There were some guys you compare to Jordan, but I, I don't know that they're were as many great players as LeBron's had had to go against. With that said, though, I mean, to me, Jordan still is is the greatest of all time, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch this documentary and just see. I, I, I'm really interested just to see his reactions to a lot of this stuff, to see how he feels about it looking back on it. If he would have done some things differently in terms of how he handled his teammates, uh, you know, th- things like that. Because I mean, we, we heard similar stories about Kobe Bryant as well and how he treated his teammates. But uh, I think Kobe, uh, you know, minus, minus the one indiscretion that got brought up for a few years, I think off the court did a lot more to help his image than Michael Jordan has ever necessarily done. So I think it'll be interesting just to see how Jordan, as he's gotten older, if his mind has changed some in terms of, of that. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison because uh, especially with Kobe's death in January, yeah. I think we, the public, have seen a lot more in terms of how Kobe interacted with fans, how, yeah. you know, he, he I didn't realize how much of a mentor he had been yeah. to a lot of players. Um, and Jordan never really did that except for maybe towards yeah. the end of his Bulls career. So it'll be an interesting uh, comparison for sure. And I went last night and watched um, – a couple of the 30 for 30s that the director of The Last Dance, Jason here, has done. Uh, he directed the 85 Bears documentary, yeah. and he also did uh, the Fab Five, which is my favorite yeah. 30 for 30 ever. Oh, so yeah. 
you know, for him to be able to pull off the Fab Five without Chris Weber in it yeah. and for it to be as good as it is, yeah. I'm super interested in watching this documentary. And that'll be uh, every Sunday night starting April the 19th. Uh, they're doing two parts every week instead of throwing it all out there for us yeah. to burn through, which I love. In fact, I'm gives us something to look forward to. to. Yeah, I, gives us something I to look forward to. I would definitely burn through it in probably two or three days. If, yep, uh, if they me put too. It, if they put it all <laughs> so I, I'm glad they're doing it that way. Uh, you know, nobody bothered me from uh, eight right, to, yeah. eight to don't eight call house next to Sunday. Don't uh, don't bother calling. Don't bother texting. There there will be the phone will be on. Do not disturb. <laughs> hey, uh, so we're here with Ryan Stone. I'm a, I'm gonna let you go, Ryan. Uh, but tell the folks where they can get to your material. I know uh, you have uh, episodes of the, of a Stone's Throw podcast out there. Give them some info on what they can expect going forward. Uh, if uh, when you're starting with new episodes of that, and uh, where else they can get to you. Well, we're kind of in a holding pattern as far as the podcast, just because uh, not a whole lot to uh, to talk about at this point. But maybe maybe the Jordan documentary will give me some things to uh, to expound upon and stuff like that. So be on the lookout for that. On uh, you can catch it on my Twitter at Ryan Stone Sports or on uh, Ryan Stone on Facebook as well. All right, cool deal. That's a uh, rundown contributor Ryan. Stone.